Now, congregation, before we put our uh, Blue Psalter hymnal away, let me direct our attention this evening as we return to our study of the Canons of Dort. And in a moment, we'll listen to Article 7 being read. We find that on page 110 in the back section of our Blue Psalter hymnal, Canons of Dort, fifth head of doctrine, seventh article. So we'll have that in a moment. But first, and rightly so, the psalm we just sang is Psalm 30. An interesting psalm in terms of its context and situation about which I'll make mention in the sermon. Psalm 30, so we'll turn there this evening, beloved, first. This is the word of the living God. A psalm, a song, for the dedication of the temple of David. I will exalt you, O Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths and did not let my enemies gloat over me. O Lord, my God, I called to you for help and you healed me. O Lord, you brought me up from the grave. You spared me from going down into the pit. Sing to the Lord, you saints of his. Praise his holy name. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may remain for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. When I felt secure, I said, I will never be shaken. O Lord, when you favored me, you made my mountain stand firm, but... When you hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I called. To the Lord, I cried for mercy. What gain is there in my destruction, in my going down into the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my help. You turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy, that my heart may sing to you and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give you thanks forever. As far beloved, that beautiful and very intricate Psalm 30, to which we'll pay careful attention in a moment, But it lends itself to our exploration of this particular article, Article 7, the Canons of Dort. Again, we're in that last section, that fifth head of doctrine, which significantly and pastorally brings to our attention the issues of the perseverance of the saints by the preservation of God. And we're continuing in our study of that matter for our assurance. So we continue at Article 7 with these things now. Follow along, beloved. Listen, for in the first place, in these falls, and here we're talking about the great and um, serious falls into sin. In these falls, he preserves in them the incorruptible seed of regeneration from perishing or being totally lost. And again, by his word and spirit, he certainly and effectually renews them to repentance, to a sincere and godly sorrow for their sins, that they may seek and obtain remission in the blood of the mediator, 
may again experience the favor of a reconciled God, through faith adore his mercies, and henceforth more diligently work out their own salvation with fear and trembling. And so, beloved, we ask the question from the psalm, and we're helped to answer it from the canons, what does God do when we fall in terrible ways into sin? Well, for the answer to that, we'll look at the word, but for help, let's ask the Lord this evening, shall we? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, already we need to say what a glorious thing it is, and entirely of grace, that you don't cast us off when we sin. Lord, even what we call small sins, slight sins, are anarchy. They are an assault against your throne. And then, O oh Heavenly Father, there are those serious, devastating sins. What happens then? Lord, we pray that you would give us to be mindful of that question tonight, to be counseled and pastorally helped. Grant us mercy and grace now, Lord, as we take up these things tonight. By your Spirit, lead us to all truth. We ask it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, dear congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, it seems appropriate that we are still working through the Canons of Dort as we conclude our calendar year and transition into the next. It is appropriate because no matter what year it is, we Christians need assurance which comes from outside ourselves. Assurance that all will be well with us. And especially, all will be well with us spiritually. Therefore, this text and Canons of Dort article are exactly what we need as our final sermon of 2023 and as our first thoughts leaning into 2024. Here's your first fill in the blank in that page, people of God. People of God, we can say at the end of a year what we will say at the end of our days that it was God alone who, by grace alone, preserved safe sinners like we are. God preserves Christians even in great falls. You see, beloved, it is the work of God to preserve and renew us in our great falls. It is the work of God to preserve and renew us in our great falls. Somebody once said, and I don't remember historically who it was in the church, but somebody once said this, we're not, if we're not preaching grace significantly so that some question is there no place for a response of obedience? If we're not preaching grace that way, then we're not preaching grace. Well, this matter might indeed help us to understand what is meant by that. It is the work of God to preserve and renew us in our great falls. Notice the following. I'm going to do what we did this morning and read each of these points again tonight because they follow one on the other. So notice the following four things from the text and the article of the canons. First, the psalmist has learned to praise God for preservation. Secondly, 
For the psalmist learned that God actively preserved him. Third, he also learned that God moved him to repentance. And fourth, the whole joy of the psalmist is a response to God's fulsome preservation. God's fulsome preservation. And again, it is the work of God to preserve and renew us in our great falls. Well, then first of all, beloved, this evening, the psalmist has learned to praise God for preservation. That's, that's a key word here. We're, we're, we're highlighting that. We're emphasizing preservation. And we need to see this evening again why. Well, this is a psalm with a situation. Uh, I alluded to this before we read Psalm 30. The problem is we aren't sure exactly what that situation was. And we ask the question of the superscription that comes right before, as we number things, right before verse 1. We ask, how does a temple dedication fit into this situation that is being outlined here by David in Psalm 30 by the Spirit? Again, it's unclear. It's not certain. It's an unanswered question in terms of, of studying the Bible. There are still... Many things to be discovered about the scriptures and the situation of Psalm 30 is, is one of those. Now, you're going to catch this and I'm going to posit a certain idea, I think, likely about the situation. We'll come to that in a moment. But what is clear is that David himself is the cause of his great difficulty. David himself is the cause of his great difficulty. You see, David is not in some kind of uncategorized kind of trouble. He is, now notice this from verse 5, he is in trouble from the anger of God. This is something kind of in the center of the psalm. Notice at verse 5, his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. And sort of like the Proverbs, we get this parallelism in the second part of verse 5, linked to anger. The anger of God brings about what in the Christian? Weeping. Weeping may remain for a night. So something David has done has brought about the anger of God into his life and has caused he himself, David, to be weeping. His trouble, you see, is born of of his sin. And it was a serious sin. Because David said himself that in some ways he felt secure even in his sinning, verse 6. What a terrifying reality. So given its closeness, Psalm 30's closeness to Psalm 32, could Psalm 30 be David's inner reflection on his sin with Bathsheba and against Uriah? It's possible. Notice that David does say, verse 11, that when he realizes his sin, he is wailing. So this brings us back to verse 1. What David has learned, and we'll circle the wagons a couple of times in the structure of this psalm. Verse 1, what David has learned is that it is God alone who has preserved him. Dearly beloved, here's your next fill in the blank. Dearly beloved, we must know with David that preservation is an act of God 
by grace to keep us when we would otherwise descend into the depths. When we would otherwise descend into the depths. In fact, in a certain sense, again, verse 1, David already was in the depths. I will exalt you, O Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths. You did not let my enemies gloat over me. Now this gives us something of significance and I might say it also seriousness to consider this evening. And it is this question the Christian must regularly consider and think about. Do we know the depths? Do we understand what are the fruits of sinful behavior? Have you been there? Were you there in 2023? You see, beloved, we need to understand something about the great fallacies of psychology as it has become the overwhelming religion of the day in terms of how people feel and what they experience. Psychology has overwhelmed any sense of one's relationship with God. And people talk about discouragement. They talk about troubles and trials. Well, we need to say this very clearly that there is a great deal of difference between general discouragement about some situation in life, what we might call discouragement about a hard providence in our lives, that's on the one hand, and on the other hand, the deep pit that feels like, verse 3, we have descended into the grave. Notice that David says that, verse 3, O Lord, you brought me up from the grave. That's how he felt. And he felt that way because he is there in that discouragement, in that great downwardness because of his own sin. God has cast him there and it is for David like being in the grave from which only God could lift him out again. Beloved, I ask us again, have we felt something of that before in our lives? Some sort of a weighty sorrow over our own sin. I would say it now also positively that we grow spiritually when we engage in using the correct terms and definitions. Sin and its torrid fruits drive us down. People of God, the depths of despair, the depths of despair, which are the worst, feeling like the grave, are those we cause by our own sins. Once there, we know it is God alone, by grace alone, who can pull us up out of that pit. You see, when we get there, when we find ourselves there, we understand there's only one way out. And that is, God must act by his grace. Well, that in a general sense of the psalm and the feeling of David as the psalmist and penning these things by inspiration of the Holy Spirit is what we need to understand as its situation. The psalmist has learned to praise God for preservation. Secondly, for the psalmist, David learned that God actively preserved him. 
So notice again in verses 1 through 3 that David uses very active language. I will exalt you, O Lord, for you lifted me, there's active, you lifted me out of the, gray, out of the depths and did not let my enemies gloat over me. Verse 2. O Lord my God, I called, there's active again, I called to you for help and you healed me, there's active. Verse 3, Lord you brought me, notice the activity, brought me up from the grave, you spared me from going down into the pit. This connects very well with what Article 7 of the Canons of Dort is trying to say when it says this, He, God, preserves in them the incorruptible seed of regeneration from perishing or being totally lost. And again, by his word and spirit, he certainly and effectually, notice it, renews them to repentance. And then it goes into a short explanation of what that repentance is. God is active in that rescue He moves us in that rescuing to be delivered out of that fall that seems to go down and seems to go down and seems to go down with no bottom, with no ending, with no landing spot. God intercedes. Now, I know some of us happen to like certain presentations of this in books and maybe movies that have been made from books and one of those for me happens to be the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Maybe that's of interest to you. But I'm thinking in my mind's eye of that battle that Gandalf is engaged in with his mortal enemy there in the lower parts of the earth. And then all of a sudden, he and his enemy begin to fall and fall and fall. And the fall seems to go on and on and on from the end of one movie, as it were, to the beginning of the next. And this, beloved, is something that we need to understand Tolkien, the writer of the trilogy, the Lord of the Rings books and then movies, was explaining biblical truth in that imagery. And that truth is what David here experienced. The sense of going down, the sense of falling, the sense of there's no bottom to the depth of my despair and depravity. And knowing that it must be God who rescues him who lifts him up, who, verse 3, pulls him out of the grave. How did he get into the grave in the first place? His sin. How did he get out of the pit after he had caused himself to be there? The grace of God enacted by the God of grace. The work of the Lord Jesus Christ alone. So that when God preserves the incorruptible seed of regeneration, he does so, as it were, at Christ's expense. Now, we don't see the name of the Lord Jesus Christ here in the psalm, of course, but we understand what's being previewed, what's being hinted at. Dearly beloved, dearly beloved, what David felt is what we often need, God keeping us from destruction by applying to us the full and sufficient grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Might we say it this way? There is grace enough for you. There is grace enough for you. Well, let's think about that and ask the question then, how do we put a wrap on an old 
year. How do we end well a particular year? How do we view it all ending? Do we say grace alone? Grace alone? Let me press us on that for a moment tonight. And I'm not trying to discourage us. But I am asking us to be honest for a moment or two. I think we're always that way, but we can ponder it now intentionally. Had it not been for the grace of God in 2023, how far could we have fallen? Into what situations of life could we have found ourselves? To what levels, what depths of the pit could you have gone apart from the intervening grace, mercy, and Christ of our God. What has he kept us from? When we begin to think about that, when we begin to realize the the intervening grace of God in a particular calendar year, I would imagine that our minds are filled with, with thoughts of, Lord, yes, you did keep me. Lord, you did hold me. You kept me from certain things that otherwise I would surely have engaged in or chosen to do or decided and it would have been destructive. It would have ended in disaster for me. But Lord, you intervened. You preserved. When we do that kind of year in review, which you probably didn't see on the news broadcast, oh, that story and this story and the top ten of that and the top five of that, as we said this morning, when, when you look at that year in review, you understand what David says when he begins the psalm, I will exalt you, O Lord. You see the cause of his exalting of God? He says it in the very next line. Because for you lifted me out of the depths. I will exalt you, O God, because you preserved me. There is intense praise when we understand what God has preserved us from and through. You see, people of God, when we properly view, when we properly view how terrible our sins are, we see how amazing is God's grace in Christ. And praise, praise erupts out of us for having been rescued out of our own pit. So thirdly, David, the psalmist, has also learned that God moved him to repentance. The language of Psalm 30 serves a double purpose. Much of David's mentioning of God's action has to do with what Article 7 of the Canons of Dort calls, says, He, God, certainly effectually renews them to repentance. Notice the great wisdom of our fathers in the faith assembled together at Dortrecht, the canons of Dort being written there, when they understand the necessity of the action of the human, of the person, he certainly and effectually renews them to repentance. We are not robots. We are not stocks and blocks that simply lie there and do nothing. No, God enables us. He moves us, and here the language is this way, to a repentance, which is defined like this, 
to a sincere and godly sorrow for their sins that they may seek and obtain remission in the blood of the mediator. And then comes the positive side of it just after that. God does these things. And again, notice the active language of verses 1 through 3 where David says the very same thing. You lifted me out of the depths. You did not let my enemies gloat over me. And then verse 2, I called. Have you called on God? One of the key markers of this kind of repentance is the active response of the Christian, of the believer. I called, and this is because God was acting upon him. You brought me up. You spared me. Again in verse 8, To you, O Lord, I called. To the Lord I cried for mercy. And by the way, how many times in the Psalms have we noted that tears, weeping, as it's given to us here in the Psalm a couple of times, is a marker of genuine repentance. Now, I don't want us to feel too badly about ourselves, but I could ask us if in 2023 we ever wept over our sin. Not that we want to sin in such ways that would bring weeping from us, but indeed true and genuine repentance is sometimes marked by that sort of sorrow. Again, notice verse 10. Hear, O Lord, which implies, again, a calling. Hear, O Lord, I'm calling to you. Be merciful to you, Lord. Be my help. So, there is this emotional activity of repentance, which is the result of God effectually, clearly, certainly renewing David to repentance, to a sincere and godly sorrow for his sins, which led me again to ask, and I'll, I'll set it before you this evening, you can agree or disagree, to consider whether Psalm 30 is David's internal memory of his sin against Bathsheba and his sin against Uriah. At the very least, it is genuine God-caused repentance that we are witnessing here. Dearly beloved, God is so intimately involved in our preservation during great falls that we must say he alone is the cause by the grace of Jesus Christ of our repentance. He is the cause of our repentance. Now, if we're careful in our biblical thinking, if we think the Bible and we consider things in a scriptural way, we might be saying, but wait a minute, Pastor. I thought repentance has to do with what we do. Isn't it true, Pastor, that we are called to turn around 180 degrees and go the other direction? Doesn't that in part define true and biblical repentance? Yes, indeed. Absolutely. Yes, correct. But you see, beloved, and now I want to be very careful here because we need to use these words intentionally. What we have just been talking about, turning around 180 degrees and going the other direction, those things belong to the category of the perseverance of the saints. And that category, the perseverance of the saints, is caused by the previous category, the preservation by God 
of those persevering saints. Now, don't stumble over the PR words. I mean, PR this and that and the other thing. Preservation, perseverance. We need to understand that the repentance that is true and genuine in the believer, which is of the perseverance of the saints, they persevere, those things are caused by God's preserving us, which is what David is talking about here. Oh, church, grace leads. Grace leads. How encouraged should we be then about what is called biblically repentance? Are we encouraged about repentance? You might say, well, repentance is because of sin. Yes, it is. But God does not cause repentance in the unbeliever, in the unregenerate. But in the believer, in the regenerate one, God will not leave you in your sin. He will not allow you to swim in that soup of your sordid behaviors. But He will work in your life in such a way that you will Repent biblically. People of God, our focus and attention when it, comes, when it comes to our repentance needs to be on what God desires in us. And the rest, the rest will fall into place. Well, fourthly then, the whole joy of the psalmist is a response to God's fulsome preservation we come to verses 11 and 12 and we see it to be perfectly clear that, that the author, that David's repentance, the cause of his salvation being God alone, brings about a response of rejoicing. Verse 11, you turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy that my heart may sing to you and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give you thanks forever. Notice again the transition here. Before David was wailing. But because of God's work, now David is dancing. Before David was clothed with sackcloth. But now because of God's work, he is clothed with joy. So that his heart now sings instead of just crying out and weeping. And he gives eternal thanks to God. Now, beloved, all of this is why, again, going all the way back up to verse 1, all of this is why, verse 1, David begins the psalm exalting God. And why David counsels all other covenant members, verse 4, to sing to the Lord, you saints of his, praise his holy name. For his anger is a righteous anger, but it lasts only a moment. His favor, being found in Jesus Christ, lasts a lifetime. Weeping may remain for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Notice again Article 7 of the Canons of Dort. In, in terms of what we just said, reading verses 4 and 5, for in the first place, in these falls, he preserves. Now all of the rest of that are important details which we have been now fleshing out and explaining and talking about. But this is the main thing. In these terrible, horrible, great falls of sin, God preserves. Oh, beloved, look and see that our perseverance, 
our perseverance is born of and from God's preservation, even, especially, when we have sinned in very serious ways. Well, then, then what? What next after God has brought us back? Well, we get right back on the horse and ride. We become, as the article says, the Canons of Dort, fifth head, seventh article says, we become even more diligent, diligent to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, quoting there, of course, Philippians chapter 2. Now, I wonder tonight, church, if we've picked up on something kind of beneath the surface just a little bit, but I wonder if we've picked, on tonight, picked up tonight on the great value of a Godward orientation. The great blessing and help of, of having a God-oriented life. This old year, 2023, has all been by God's grace. I'm sure we would all agree to that. But more so, 2023 has been the working out of God's will in our lives. Including the working out of his will in terms of bringing us back when we sin. We have been surviving and thriving by God's mercies and the merit of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that leads us to a consideration of just under six hours from now. When here in the central time zone, our clocks click past midnight in just under six hours, will we be confident about 2024? That depends. Upon what does it depend? It depends on having what David has here, what we delight to have, a God-oriented focus a God-determined reality where we say such things as grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, Scripture alone, to God's glory alone. These things define us, they shape us, they describe us. And, and this is what David is talking about. This is his life view. This is his orientation. God, you did it. By grace, you held me up. You see, people of God, salvation is of the Lord, even when we fall into very serious sins. Amen. Oh, Heavenly Father, how we praise you for the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is a work sufficient to all our sins. And Lord, we want to say to you tonight that we do not wish to fall into serious sins. And we ask that you would help us in terms of our daily choices and behaviors to avoid and run from and to hate anything that leads to those serious sins. Give us strength to that positive biblical Christianity. But, oh Lord, when we do fall and when we find ourselves in the pit and feel like we're in the grave, because of our sin, help us to remember the work of the one who endured your righteous wrath on the cross and even into hell for us on the cross. 
that we might glory in a salvation which is sufficient to all our need. Bless us, Lord, at the end of this year and in a few moments, a new year beginning. Lord, may we be yours and say about you that you are our God. We pray all this tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing something of these things, congregation, at 454. We'll stand to sing nearer, still nearer. And then our benediction and the doxology, 487. Let's stand this evening at 454.